This podcast is brought to you by A Copy Match. A Copy Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers, or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agopymatch.com. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise each week, I answer your dating and relationship questions on the podcast and online. If you're not already following me, head on over to Instagram. I'm at Matchmaker Maria. And hey, while you're at it, follow this podcast, Ask a Matchmaker, and my company, A Copy Match. I'll include the links of all that in the episode notes. This week's guest is author and professor, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Dr. Suzuki is a professor of neuroscience and psychology in the Center of Neuroscience at New York University and a celebrated international authority on neuroplasticity. She was recently named one of the top 10 women changing the way we see the world by good housekeeping and a regularly series as sought after expert for publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Shape and Health. Her TED Talk has more than 31 million views and was the second most viewed TED Talk of 2018. She's the author of Healthy Brain, Happy Life and Good Anxiety, which was just published last month by Atria Books, a division of Simon & Schuster. You can purchase her book by visiting the episode notes. There's a link right there for you to purchase this amazing book. Dr. Suzuki, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Thank you so much, Maria. It's so nice to be here. It's so nice to have you. I'm really excited. So, you know, as I was reading your bio, um, I've never heard of the word neuroplasticity and I, I want you to know that I consider myself like kind of intelligent. So the fact that I've never heard of that word was like shocking. I was like, what? So what is neuroplasticity? Yeah. So neuroplasticity is really one of the most amazing uh, features of the human brain. The brain can change and grow in response to the environment. There's positive brain plasticity that includes things like learning, learning new things all the time on the um, Ask a Matchmaker podcast, for example. They're gonna learn lots of things on that podcast. That That is an example of positive brain plasticity. But it also uh, refers to the uh, amazing ability for the brain to positively respond to things like regular physical activity, meditation, uh, de-stressing your life, uh, great sleep, uh, nutrition, uh, to grow and uh, strengthen particular brain areas. Unfortunately, there's also negative brain plasticity that comes with things like chronic stress, PTSD, um, difficult situations that, that, um, that actually increased cortisol in your brain is a very common thing. And uh, one of the things that I'm I'm focused so much on for this good anxiety book, that's why you want good anxiety because chronic stress levels and chronic cortisol, the stress hormone is very bad, not only for your brain and for your body and gives you a whole bunch of negative brain plasticity. So many questions about everything you just said. So what was, what did you say it's called cortisol? Cortisol is the stress hormone, yes. 
Okay, is that an addictive hormone? You know, uh, people don't talk about it in, in form of addiction. Uh, people talk about it in form of, you know, you, you, uh, you, you kind of can create a lifestyle or the world can create a situation that is chronically um, uh, stimulating the stress response. And so obviously our situation right now, uh, anxiety is caused, is the worry and um, fear typically associated with uncertain situations. So I can't remember a more uncertain situation in the world than the pandemic that we're all living through right, right now, which helps explain the high levels of anxiety, significantly higher levels of anxiety since the pandemic started and, and um, um, consequent increases in stress levels and stress hormones coursing through our bodies. I have, I ha I have a theory now that like, now that you're giving me the vocabulary to articulate it, I want you to tell me if this hypothesis might be true. Mm -hmm. So cortisol, yeah, that's negative, the negativity, um, you know, it, maybe it's not addictive, but I'm wondering if there is a nostalgic element to it. So I remember reading this book by Dr. Harvey, I think, um, and he said something about how, and I guess you could say this also about Dr. Levine when it comes to like attachment disorders, but for instance, you know, the negative stress that you experience as a kid when your parents were fighting, mm -hmm. when you're an adult, you might seek out that same chaos, even though logically, you know, it's negative. Mm -hmm. um, emotionally, you're attracted to it because even though it's chaotic, you're familiar with the walls mm. of that. And I'm wondering if, what is it called again? Cortisol. Cortisol, yeah. sorry. Cortisol has, uh, maybe it's not addictive, but is there comfort in the nostalgia of it? Like if we experience anxiety, let's say, you know, in a bad relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes relationships go up and down. Yes. And we know maybe we shouldn't be in this relationship, but we still stay in it because we are addicted, or not addicted, but like we understand it. There are lots of complicated elements in there. And so it makes it difficult to say, yes, we get addicted to cortisol because it's not just the cortisol. It is that emotional state. It is that familiarity. It is that um, reactivation of perhaps long-term memories from that kind mm -hmm. of relationship from growing up or from your own experience. Um, so, so, uh, I don't think, and, and I don't think, uh, and people have not talked about cortisol as necessarily a, an addictive-like substance, like they talk about other addictive drugs, like addictive right. substances. However, I, I understand where you're coming from, that there is a familiarity, and in people's behavior, one tends to, one tends to recapitulate those kinds of relationships that we've had in the past, you always are addicted or you go back to a similar kind of uh, relationship uh, that yeah. could look like addiction. Though I I can't say that, um, I can't tell you off the top of my head whether that, that checks all the boxes for the official kind of physiological definition of, of an addictive situation. Right. Well, I appreciate even just uh, the validation that, you know, we do sometimes fall into familiar patterns yes. or patterns that we've been introduced to as children. And, you know, who knows if, I mean, only, I guess you and some of your colleagues might know the physiological sure. uh, sense of this, but, you know, moving on from that, <laughs> to go back to your book, yes. your new book, yes. published by Atria Books, a division of Simon & Schuster, was released last month. Mm -hmm. 
loved reading it. Thank you. I would love to talk about Good Anxiety because I think not just the title of the book, Good Anxiety, just like the concept of Good Anxiety. Yes. Because I think when we think about anxiety, we think about like this negative right. thing. Yeah. And you're presenting it as a positive. Right. Tell me more about that. So I say that anxiety, in fact, is good because from an evolutionary perspective, anxiety, that feeling of fear and worry that typically associated with um, situations of uncertainty, anxiety and that underlying stress response, that is, has evolved in us to be protective. That is protective. And it's not only protective, it is actually essential to our survival. And uh, I think that is the first kind of mindset shift. Anxiety wasn't evolved in us to be an annoyance, to be a, a weight around our, our uh, necks that we drag around all the time. It evolved to actually protect us. So how does that work? Well, let me jump back, Have uh, let's jump back together 2.5 million years. Imagine you're a woman who just uh, had a child and you're gathering you know, food and suddenly you hear the crack of a twig, okay? That could be a lion, it could be a, a predator that's about to kill predator, you yeah. and your kid. What do you, what happens when you hear that crack? Anxiety, it's like, oh, what is that? And that, that um, kind of stimulates the stress response, cortisol surges in your bloodstream. And that prepares you to uh, do what everybody knows about the stress system, to either fight or run away, that fight or flight response. Is that essential for this person 2.5 million years ago? Absolutely. Is it essential yeah. to us today? Yeah, absolutely. In situations of danger like that, okay, it's not a lion, but here in New York City, it's those bicycles that go every which way on the street that could kind of kill you if you if you step off of the sidewalk. Uh, that literally gives me anxiety, and that anxiety mm. is provoked by that same kind of desire to preserve my my life from from being killed by one of those bikes on the street. So that is how it is essential. But I know you're saying, okay, great, I get your example, but I'm not feeling protected generally by my anxiety. My anxiety is just a, a weight around my neck. And the answer is, I, I know that. It is for me too, or it has been for me. And that is because the volume on our collective anxiety has been turned up way too high. Too much of anything, even a good thing, is bad. And so too much anxiety is not bad. We've lost its protective capacity. We've lost that essential um, critical kind of survival skill uh, that where anxiety can actually help us. So the first step of good anxiety is recognizing that, recognizing that at its core, it is protective. Can you try and get to that protective element of anxiety? If your answer is yes, I want to, let's turn the anxiety down. Let's learn how to control it a little bit. We're never gonna get rid of it. It is part of our human emotional um, kind of uh, cornucopia of emotions that we have. Uh, we'll never get rid of it. Yes, um, but- Are there people that are born without this? Without anxiety? There are people that have higher, lower levels of all the major emotions. I have not heard of anybody that that is anxiety free. I have to say that, you know, one of the things I discovered as I wrote this book, Good Anxiety, is that I found that I, I kind of outed myself as an anxiety denier. I, I started writing the book because there were anxiety levels were going up even before the pandemic. And I thought this is a really important topic. This is going up and then the pandemic hit and it went up even more. And I realized as I was writing the book that I, I have, it's not that I don't have very much anxiety. 
I just like to tell myself I didn't have very much anxiety. When I really looked at it honestly, I have an enormous amount of anxiety or probably normal amounts of anxiety, uh, not little anxiety. And I have plenty of anxiety that kind of started when I was a young, young person and has continued on today, the same kind of patterns of anxiety. So um, I think that uh, uh, while there may be variations, uh, this is part of our normal emotional, you know, landscape. How much does the hormone dopamine affect like if there was a balance, right? Like a scale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have what's inducing anxiety yeah. and on the other side of the scale, you have dope. Like is dopamine something that's like, you know what I'm thinking about now mm -hmm. as you're speaking, I'm thinking about those crazy people that go to the top of like the Burj Khalifa to take like a video. And I'm like, aren't they terrified? Cause if I was on the top of the world's biggest skyscraper, mm. I would throw up probably pass out. And of course, if I'm passing on the top of a skyscraper, I'm going to fall to my death and rightfully so. And I'm wondering like, how do these people not have how are they not freaking out? And then I just think, oh, they probably just have way more dopamine and adrenaline in their bodies that any anxiety that a normal person could, or fear mm. that a person could experience, they're just not. Well, actually you, you bring up a really, really good point. And that is at its core, anxiety is a pattern of activation in the brain. And one of the tools that I talk about a lot in Good Anxiety is harnessing that activation energy that in some situations can make us, you know, throw up, pass out at the top of a building or forget our words if we're trying to give a talk and mm -hmm. harness that too, that energy to actually do it, that, that activation energy uh, and that bravery that it might take to stand at the top of the, uh, of the highest building in the world, the bravery that it takes to go out on stage and tell your story and wait for you know, all the feedback to come back. So there's a fine line uh, between uh, that, the activation energy that, that tips over to the negative and starts impairing your ability to work and uh, kind of learning how to channel it so that it mm. fuels your optimum performance. One last hormonal question before yeah. we go to the next one. Yeah. So in as it's tipping over to the positive, right? I've been in a situation where, and you have to, where you're speaking in front of thousands of people and you get anxious as you're walking to the stage. Yeah. And then for me, I don't know about you, but for me, my adrenaline kicks in. Mm -hmm. And once the adrenaline kicks in, that's it. I'm on a high for the next four hours. Like, and I'm wondering if, you know, is, is good anxiety when you're trying to push it towards the good? Is it because you're trying to activate the adrenaline? I said, this would be my last question about hormones. Yeah. So, you know, there are uh, many, many different uh, neurochemicals that are involved in kind of getting you to uh, the optimum performance and different techniques that you can get there. So sometimes mm -hmm. you need to calm yourself down and things like breath work can really, really help because there you're activating um, a part of the nervous system that everybody should know about, but nobody does. Uh, did you know that there is a stress reduction part of your nervous system that is equal and opposite to the um, fight or flight part of your nervous system? Everybody's heard of, yeah, fight or flight, yeah, yeah, that's the bad one, that's, that's you know, that's the scary uh -huh. one. But, and, and that part of the nervous system is called the sympathetic nervous system. The equal and opposite part, the stress reduction part of the nervous system is called the parasympathetic nervous system. And what does it, it do? It decreases our heart rate. It decreases our respiration. It shunts blood from our muscles where the, where the fight or flight, you know, pushes our blood into our muscles so we can run away or fight. And it pushes 
uh, the blood from the muscles to our digestion and reproductive systems. It's also called the rest and digest part of our nervous system. And so to activate that, uh, one of the most easy and, and uh, immediate ways you can do that is deep breathing. This is why monks for millennia have realized that, have, have used deep breathing to get into a meditative state. You can do that. You can use exercise to calm yourself down. And um, uh, that will, going back to another neurotransmitter that you just mentioned, dopamine, that will increase dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline levels in your brain immediately and help you get to that good you know, uh, zone where you are performing well. So I talk about all of these tools in Good Anxiety. The whole last part of the book is a whole list of tools from a toolbox that I call uh, that, that helps people uh, shift their anxiety down and modulate their anxiety. I love that. I love that. Okay. So since you talked about, um, you know, strategies, how can I harness my anxiety to be a superpower? First, I just want to be realistic. It's not like you can go from terrible anxiety that, you know, you have feel like you're having an anxiety t attack to, oh, suddenly I'm Wonder Woman. It doesn't quite go like that. So there are a few oh. steps. Sorry. <laughs> I want to be I want to be realistic. And so the first step we already talked about turning the volume down on your anxiety. So use those tools to learn how to do that. Step two is to kind of once the uh, volume is turned down, that is so valuable because it lets you tune in to those uncomfortable emotions, um, uncomfortable emotions like fear and worry and um, uh, maybe even anger and start to ask yourself, why are you feeling these particular emotions in these situations, mm -hmm. whether it's on a date or whether it's with a conversation with a, a anxiety provoking colleague or anxiety provoking family member? There are lots of similarities between these kind of interpersonal anxiety provoking uh, situations. And um, uh, what I like to say is that what I found in writing this book and, and researching all the tools and, and the science behind them, but also just getting into the emotions that, that lower levels of anxiety can help us realize, I found myself making friends with my own anxiety. Why friends? I, I don't want to make friends with my anxiety. Most people just want to kick it out the door and never see it again. I started to realize that it really started to help me understand the origin of these emotions that are true. They're not just, you know, again, there to annoy you. They are telling you something about your values, what you appreciate, what you don't appreciate in the world. And when I started to understand that, I started to make friends with my anxiety and that led me and leveraged me into some gifts. So I want to get back to your gifts. So let me share with you my top two gifts. I, I talk about six gifts or superpowers of anxiety, but I want to share all of them with, with everybody. Now I'm going to give you the top two. Top one, a gift of productivity. And this comes from a very, very um, common form of anxiety, which is that what if list that gets generated. What if I didn't respond well enough? What if I didn't, you know, uh, um, make the right steps to, to get to this goal? And for me, this, the what if list comes up right before I'm going to go to sleep. It could come up any time during the day, but for me, it keeps me from sleeping. It's so annoying. Oh yeah. And, I, ha I suffer from this. Yeah. Okay. I, totally, I mean, for me personally, yeah. I like to do what I, I've said this in a previous episode uh -huh. for listeners, but I like to do what I call a data dump. Uh huh. So I put all my what ifs on a notes app every night. Yeah. 
So, so that way I can go to sleep. Otherwise, I'm never going to go to sleep. Right, <laughs> right. So here's a variation on that that um, really ends up with a gift, and that gift is productivity. So um, I turn my what-if list into a to-do list for the next day. These things do not come out of nowhere. They're often associated with things that you're working on, things that are very, very important to you. And so mm -hmm. why don't you just use that concern and worry and, you know, what if this and turn it into actionable things that you can, you can actually do and check off. And because our anxiety was initially evolved to have an action put on it, usually running away or, or fighting. Having an action and checking off something on the list can help resolve that feeling of anxiety. And yes, I'm not gonna do it at night, but what I end up doing, it still happens to me, you know, what if, oh my gosh, and I, I, I wake up and then I think, okay, I'm just gonna remember all of these, I'm gonna put it on my to-do list, I'm gonna become more productive tomorrow, and so now I could go to sleep. So it really is your own anxiety working to help improve your own productivity. Yep, that's a good one. That's my favorite. <laughs> okay, but wait, wait, let me tell you the other one. Maybe this other one will let be Let me hear favorite. the other okay. one though. So yeah. here's another one, my, my top two that I like to share uh, from the book. The other gift of anxiety is empathy. And so I think this might be particularly relevant for, you know, dating situations, relationship situations. And so um, let me tell you how it came up with me and how I came up with this gift. Um, I realized that my longest standing anxiety was social anxiety. And so I'm a speaker mm -hmm. now, and so you might not be able to tell. I, I'm not nervous right now, but I've had social anxiety since I was a young, awkward wallflower of a young, young girl. And especially in classrooms where I was smart and I wanted to, you know, contribute, but I was always afraid to ask questions because, of course, I was afraid of being wrong in front of the whole class. Severe anxiety I suffered for many years. Well, I realized that that has turned into my own empathy superpower of being a professor because now, even unconsciously, before I realized it, I always stayed, came early, stayed late, answered all those questions um, from people that didn't necessarily want to raise their hand, but you know, just wanted to ask me a question because you always want to ask the teacher a question. And it really became that superpower of empathy for my students because of my own form of anxiety. I probably wouldn't do that if I didn't know the, the pain of, of suffering through that at, in myself. And so this is, this is just my, my example. Everybody has their own particular form of anxiety that they know so well. And if you just turn that to the outside, you could recognize it in others. And that becomes your own special gift of empathy for that particular form of anxiety. So that's another gift that comes specifically from your, your form of anxiety. That's really cool. One of the things that I observe the most, and I, I did this myself too when I was single, I start to put meaning in things mm -hmm. that would then self-sabotage my own reality. Mm. I'll give you an example, right? Um, maybe he didn't text right away. Yeah. Maybe what he texted, he didn't put even a period. So now I'm like, well, where's the period? Is he going to talk more? Well, he's been <laughs> typing for too long or it's taken six hours for him to get back to me. Or, you know, we went on a really great first date. Why, ha you know, why hasn't he messaged me in four days? Or he said he wants to see me again. And you're like, just all this extra stuff. And I would even tell you that one of the reasons why, 
you know, Agape Match, my company, was created was to answer into some of that relationship anxiety and dating fatigue that many of my clients and members have experienced, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, if you use a matchmaker, you don't have to worry about someone telling you the next day how it went. I'll tell you. you Right. Um, So... I, I, so back to what I, you know, the original point is that sometimes we put meaning from our own biases and previous experience and we start self-sabotaging reality. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering like, which of your strategies or gifts can help ground us in dating? Yeah. So the thing that comes up, um, for me is not necessarily, well, some of the gifts absolutely come up. But what comes up most for me, it comes from my own personal experience. I absolutely did that. And the thing that has helped me um, for that kind of thing, because you can do that in relationships, you can do that in your work life, you know, what they didn't get back to me about my raise or whatever you're asking about, uh, important things, is um, the practice of, of mindfulness and staying in the moment. All of that is 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 kind of a, a form of a what if, but it's living in, you know, uh, what might happen in the future or why didn't this happen right now. And what has really helped me is um, the building up of a practice of mindfulness that just keeps me in this moment and um, uh, keeps me in gratitude and appreciation of this moment. And I can't tell you how many different spheres of my life that that has um, that has influenced. And certainly meditation and all the studies of meditation on different uh, mood states is is uh, represented in the book. Um, the other the other gift that uh, comes to mind when you, you bring up this this kind of common thing that that people do is uh, one of the gifts of creativity. So. Creativity is a gift of anxiety because um, one of the things that is so helpful in helping mitigate anxiety is approaching it in a different way. This is not a problem. This is not an insurmountable, he or she did not text me back. This is a challenge. Okay, so what, what, uh, what else, how else can I, can I approach, how can I approach this? Maybe uh, I could have a conversation with the person about, you know, uh, um, their, you know, patterns of, of uh, texting back. Maybe you can uh, kind of set up a, um, uh, a more uh, um, clear schedule of what, you know, when that response might be. As, not for every little thing, but for, for kind of big answers if, if there's, a, there's an event that you're going to go to or things like that. Um, there are always... A... So to pause on yeah. that, because I think that's a really important. Sometimes yeah. people say to me, you know, he said for next Tuesday, but, you know, we still haven't put plans in. It's Monday. What do I do? Yeah. And, you know, well, now it's, if it's Monday, it's, you're done. If he messages you now, you could, all you have to say is, you know, it's Monday yeah. or it's Tuesday morning. You never confirmed and I made other plans. Right. You know, I'd love to see you. Let's schedule for something else. Mm-hmm. But next time you make plans with someone, yes. to piggyback off of what you're saying, mm-hmm. is to say, you know, oh, like, let's say you say to someone, let's meet next next Friday. Yeah. Okay, great. Please let me know by Tuesday yeah. the time and place. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know... I just, I don't have to say otherwise, just say, please let me know by Tuesday. So that, you know, about Friday. Yeah. If they don't get back to you by Tuesday, that's it. Yeah. You gave the warning, yeah. you're done. Now you can move on with your life. Exactly. And I, think, I think we get to, I always try to tell people like, you get to control the narrative. Right. 
And it's okay to put boundaries on your own schedule, especially with a stranger you've never met <laughs> online or with a person that you met online who's still a stranger when you're trying to set up your next date. Absolutely. I, I'm totally there with you. And it's really, I think they're also, just like I talk a lot about in Good Anxiety, shifting your mindset. Shifting your mindset. You're not just sitting there waiting for the other person exactly. to control the yes. whole thing. Take action. You are one half of this relationship and you get to say that, not that you control the whole thing, but if it doesn't work, right. uh, then, then, you know, set up your, your boundaries for this is not good. You know, I, if it was my best friend, I would say, get out of that relationship. But sometimes it's so hard to see it when it's, it's really you and, and you like the person or you think you like the person and it, it absolutely clouds your judgment. But the thing is that all of these kinds of practices of mindset shifting and approaching life in creative ways, they all add up. You get better and better and better at it. So let's say you tackle the creativity aspect for anxiety. Well, you're going to have all those tools when you come to your dating life. And and um, matchmaker Maria says, well, you know, do this. Let's let's have five different approaches to to you know, like solve this thing that's really annoying you about this relationship. You'll be like, yeah, okay, I I know how to do that. I've done that to address issues of anxiety in my life. And it's such a powerful tool. And that is why I talk about brain plasticity. That is why this whole book is based on brain plasticity. The brain's ability to learn, to see things in different ways. Sometimes we think, oh God, you know, I'm never going to be able to do that. And the fact is that we all have that capacity to do it. We need a little guidance sometimes and perhaps a little reminder that it is not always you that needs to give in to the damn date time or whatever, that, that right. you, you have the capacity to do that. And learning how not to give in all the time, that is brain plasticity too. When Dr. Suzuki, thank you so much. Like this is like so much information and I just have to tell everyone, go read, go purchase from your local independent yes. bookstore or by visiting the episode notes, Good Anxiety by Dr. Wendy Suzuki just came out last last month. So good. And I think, you know, I think you've given such a plethora of information. And I just know your book is going to have even more, obviously. And I know people can really benefit from it. I just want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us on the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. And Dr. Suzuki, where can people find you yeah. online if they wanted to follow you? Yes. Two places. GoodAnxiety.com has all of the podcasts, including this one, will be posted there. Uh, but generally, my main website is wendysuzuki.com. You can learn about my first book, Healthy Brain, Happy Life, all the courses I teach at NYU, speaking engagements, and things like that. So wendysuzuki.com and goodanxiety.com. And where can people find you on Instagram? Yeah, Instagram, I'm wendy.suzuki. For those listening, if you purchase her book, or if you enjoyed this episode, I not only want you to tag myself, but I want you to tag Dr. Suzuki so she knows all of the love you're giving her. This is such a great, great read, and I can't wait for you to read the rest of her book. Dr. Suzuki, again, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. This is great. And thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. As I've mentioned previously, if you'd like to speak to me on an upcoming hotline episode, follow me on Instagram at matchmakermaria. 
I'll post a link on Wednesdays and we'll chat then. Until then, you can learn more about what I do or enroll in an upcoming Agape Intensive by visiting agapematch.com services. Thank you again for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. Be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.